0: Thank you so much for joining me today on Just Praise Him Radio. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and my job is to inspire you to a closer walk with Christ. Now here's the show. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Just Praise Him Radio program. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and the title of my message today is Soul Winning 101, When You Are Not an Evangelist. Because y'all know I'm not an evangelist, right? If you've ever been around an evangelist, everything that comes out of their mouth is either about Jesus or it's one of the soul-winning scriptures, you know, salvation scriptures. I am not that person. Not to say I don't talk about Jesus because I talk about Jesus a lot. So I always wanted to win more souls, but here lately that desire has really, really increased in me. I guess because of the time we live in, And I just want to win souls. I wanted to lead people into the kingdom of God. I'm like, Lord, how do I do this if I'm not an evangelist? And so I started studying it, and I thought, you know, this would be a good thing to talk about because probably some of y'all feel the same way, and you're probably not evangelists either. And so I started studying, and he just started showing me things. And tonight, this is actually June 8th. This is actually uh, the wee hours of Thursday morning. On June 8th, and I started just adding things to my notes, and the whole rest of the message just came in a download. It's like, alrighty then. And so I wanted to go ahead and record it while it's on my heart, even though y'all won't hear it until next week. So, how do you win souls for the kingdom of God if you are not an evangelist, if you do not have a natural gift for evangelizing and leading souls to the kingdom? I want to read Matthew 9, 37 and 38 to start out this message. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I prayed that about a week ago and about a week before that too. Because we see harvest time like right in front of us, don't we? We know we're at the end and that door is fixing to close. And when it closes, all the people who have not given their hearts to him, are not going to heaven. And that grieves me. I don't know if it grieves y'all or if you think about it, but that grieves me. Because I, but for his grace, would be one of those people. Because I ran from him, y'all. I ran. I'm going to tell you that story in a minute. God cares about lost souls. Like he cared about you and he cared about me. All those people out there walking in darkness, thinking they know truth and they don't thinking they've found the answer, and they haven't. Those who long for peace but never find it. Those that are bound up in sins that torment them, unable to get free. God loves them, and his heart breaks that they are not his and not in his family. More than anything else, God cares about souls. He knows the fate of those who do not find him in time. He can see ahead of them to what will happen, How would you feel if you had a child who, let's say, got hard into drugs and the drug lifestyle and you knew, you knew the destruction and torment that lay ahead of them and all you could do was watch helplessly as it took place? That is how he feels because he can see hell and he can see the people being tormented and he can see the future. So he knows exactly what your torments or my torments would have been if we went to hell or if we turned our backs on him, and went to hell if we denied him later. To quote Max Styles, the fear of man is the number one roadblock to evangelism. We are afraid of people's reactions, aren't we? Let's face it, it feels awkward to talk about our faith to nonbelievers. It does. Just like when people tried to talk to us about their faith, and we were on the other side, it, they felt awkward too. We know we should. We want to. We want to evangelize. But then there's the problem of how do we do it? If we don't have that gift naturally, how do you talk to somebody about Jesus and lead them to him? How do we help someone who has never believed in our wonderful Jesus to find him? How do we explain what he is offering them in a way that they can both understand and see the beauty of it? How do we explain it so that they can make the single most important decision they will ever make. How do we explain our amazing shepherd, someone they cannot see, in a way so as to help them accept and not reject him? I was one of those people that ran from God, and I ran hard, y'all. I am not even playing when I say that. My eldest sister Judy, may she rest in peace, and my sweet southern mama, may she rest in peace, were the ones who most often tried to preach to me, and I was like, Don't talk to me about the Jesus stuff. That was literally what I said to them, y'all. And I have a lot of respect for my mom. And I had a lot of respect for my sister, too. The truth is, Jesus was everything I was out in the world desperately searching for. But I did not know that. I was under the impression that he was a tough judge with a big gavel overseeing the Big Ten, ready to smack me hard when I missed it. That could not have been further from the truth. If you think that about God and you're not saved... Please don't think he's like that. That's not anything about what he's like. Not at all. I would have been willing to hear about the Jesus I know now. The one that helped me pay bills. The one who healed me when I was sick. The one who comforted me on those dark nights after the stroke when I was so afraid and I was alone. I thought I needed a husband for all that. I did not. I needed him. He does all of that. All of it. And he's on call too. He's there 24-7. Or as my Uncle Bob calls them, 724s. <laughs> He's there, 724s. <laughs> I love that he says that. That's so funny. So when you witness, if you get a negative response, this may be why. No one that witnessed to me ever asked me what my opinion of Jesus was before they started preaching. And God blessed them for trying because I had to be the most lost, wayward person in our entire family. I get that they loved me and wanted better for me than working two jobs to feed my children and partying every weekend thinking I was having fun. I did not know Jesus wanted to carry that load for me. I didn't know. I would have run to him. I mean, I would have run. Y'all, I would have looked like a track star in a sprint race, okay, running towards him. I would have knocked him down. I would have run so fast. They could see he was what I needed, but I could not see anything I wanted because I was looking through a very defiled filter a very prejudiced filter. So if you know someone who is really struggling with life, with finances, with their health, or just with staying sane, that's somebody you might be able to talk to about Jesus if you approach them gently enough and with an attitude that you want to help. And by the way, I've been wanting to do a show on evangelizing for quite some time. And I've just been doing shows on other things because I wasn't sure how to talk about this, not being a person with that gift. So I just wanted to tell y'all that. I think the main thing you have to do with an unbeliever is approach it very gently and be willing to stop talking when you need to stop talking. The biggest mistake most people make is they don't stop talking when they should. Another thing, and God bless my mama, she was determined to see me say, (laughs) she was determined, I was getting in the ark, okay? When she went into the care home, one of her roommates told me, that that was what she talked about more than anything else. That I had gotten saved and given my life to the Lord, and I was living for the Lord, because God knows she waited a long time to see that. She knew she had seen a miracle when I got in the boat, and she knew she was one of the main people who prayed me into his kingdom. She never stopped. And my mama's gift was intercession. And she asked me one time why she was not able to lead me to the Lord. And I think I told her it was easier for me to receive him through somebody who did not know me well. But one thing I remember is she would always quote scriptures to me when she would try to get me saved. And I finally told her one day before I was saved, I said, Mom, you're quoting to me from a Bible you believe in, but I don't. So the scripture, she was saying, well, the Bible says this. And I was saying, but I don't believe the Bible. So it doesn't matter to me what it says. And she didn't understand that because, of course, she believed it all like I do now. She knew the word of God was truth and she expected me to receive it. But an unbeliever doesn't have that belief in the word yet. So you're barking up the wrong tree if you use that. That's what I'm saying. So it helps if you can resist shoving scripture down their throat. Okay. What does help is if you know a situation in their life they are struggling with and you know what the word says about that if it is something that will comfort them or encourage them and not condemn them. That will help. Like if somebody's struggling with drug addiction, you know, you can tell them very gently, you know, he who the son sets free is free indeed. So Jesus is able to set you free from that addiction, but you have to ask him. You could say something like that and then just turn and walk away. That's the whole conversation right there. You don't argue with them. You don't have to quote anything else. Be willing to just say a little and plant the seed and then walk away, okay? If you want them to receive what you are saying, it's like when you're going to feed your little toddler spinach, you have to present it in a light where they will open up to it. I'm going to tell you all a story. My older brother, Jerry, was the single most impossible person in our family to witness to. He was worse than me. He was way worse than me. You had not seen stubborn till you saw his approach. He literally had a standing rule. Everybody in the family knows about it. Had a standing rule that anyone who even started talking about God in his house would be asked to leave. I cannot make this up, y'all. I can't make this up. And back when he started that rule, I was not saved either. But he did not want to hear it. He never said why, but I think knowing him, because I grew up with him, I think he just wanted to do what he wanted to do, and he did not want any biblical commentary on it. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. Anyway, a couple of decades after I got saved, and when I moved back to Princeton, my son and I went out to his place. And I cannot remember what we were doing. It seems like he was driving us around showing us something on his land or showing us how big it was, I don't know, something. He had this big rural piece of property in Blue Ridge, which is just outside of Princeton. And he was talking about not having enough money. And Jerry really, really struggled with money. And I saw my chance. So I casually, and and it was casual, I didn't force it, mentioned the time I owed a whole bunch of tax money. And I prayed for the Lord to bring me $14,000 so I could pay him because I had no way to get that kind of money. And when the IRS is breathing down your neck, you don't want them to breathe long because they will go after your, they will freeze your checking account. And they will, if you have a paycheck coming in, they will take your paycheck, you won't get it. And they will freeze that account until they have collected the entire $14,000 or however much you owe them. My friend John Morgan went through that one time. Y'all, that is not funny. They don't play. If you owe them money, they will get their money. And I did not want to owe them money. And somehow I ended up, I don't remember what all happened, but I ended up ending them, owing them $14,000 and I was trying not to panic. I remember walking the dogs around the neighborhood in Princeton and saying, okay, Lord, I can't pay this. You know I can't pay this. You know I have nowhere to get that kind of money. I just lived, you know, one week to the next. I need you to bring me 14 grand. And I don't care how you do it. I just need you to bring 14 grand because I gotta pay those taxes and get the IRS off my back. Cause I had just filled out the tax forms and knew that I and I was like, oh, this is not good. And I didn't have anything I could sell and get the money either. Or I would have done that. So <laughs> I had nobody else to go to for help, y'all. That was um when you first start out in ministry, you just live on the contributions usually. And what you eventually have to do when, when contributions become regular is you have to pay yourself like an employee and have uh, taxes taken out because if you don't, you end up owing the IRS money, and it's a problem. And I had multiple years rolled into that 14000 It went from one year. So anyway, um, as I was trying to pay for the year before, I could not have even borrowed the money for that because I had no way to repay it. So (laughs) when I told my brother that, his head whipped around so hard, I thought he was going to get whiplash. And I thought, here we go. He's going to kick me out. And he didn't. He was like, wow, I wish he would do that for me. And I thought, ooh, open door. I didn't look excited. I just very calmly, you have to stay very calm in cases like that, especially with somebody who's rejected the gospel for, you know, like 60 years. And I told him, I said, the Lord would love to have a relationship with you, which would open up that possibility. And all you have to do is just invite him into your life. And I said, if you invite him into your life, then the door is opening. Whatever you need, you ask him for. All he wants is for you to believe in him and let him love you. And I left it at that and didn't say anything else. And I was not kicked out. And we all smiled all the way back to his house because <clears throat> nobody got hurt. Fast forward about 10 years or so. I'm living up in Arkansas in December 2019 and my brother still lived on his place in Blue Ridge and he was diagnosed with lung cancer and given six weeks to six months, to live, six weeks to a year and a half I think to live, something like that. I hurt so bad driving dash flat one day thinking about this. I was going to pick up a grocery order and he had just been diagnosed and I just found out and I just started praying about it. I mean the pain hit me so bad my spirit just felt like was being ripped out of me that all I could do was wail and cry out to the Lord I was driving through the countryside so I think my dogs were pretty alarmed but crying out to God brings breakthrough y'all if you really need a breakthrough hit your knees and cry out to God and loud cry loud I was shown that it has the same effect on our father in heaven as when a small child cries out loudly when they get hurt does on their earthly parents and when my children used to get hurt cry I ran to them so I'm driving along and I'm crying out and praying for my brother who is still unsaved as far as I know and asking for mercy for him and I know I cannot see well enough to even drive down there and visit him and on the way back home I called him to see how he was doing and he was talking about the yearly taxes you know his property taxes coming up and he was already worrying about how to pay those and the Lord showed me in my spirit or, or spoke to me, I don't remember which, to pay those taxes. And without telling him that, I said, how much are your taxes? And I, I think they were like $1,600. They weren't very much. And I, I went online to the county website and figured out how to pay him, and I paid him. And then when I talked to him, because I was talking to him two or three times a day. And then when I talked to him next, I told him, I said, hey, the Lord directed your taxes to be paid. Your property taxes are paid. Uh, He paid them for you, and he said, what did he do that for? And I said, because he loves you, and he did not want you to sit there in that bed worrying about your taxes. I said, he loves you, Jerry. He's always loved you. And he said something like, tell him thank you. And I said, you can just tell him that, and he would be very happy to hear from you, because he really hasn't before now. So just tell him thank you. And he said thank you. So he was so amazed by the fact that the Lord would help him pay his bills. I did not feel that I was supposed to say anything else right then. So I didn't. I didn't say anything. The most important part of witnessing is knowing when to shut up, y'all, and knowing what not to say. That is the hardest part. You have to be very sensitive to the Spirit of God. You're better to say too little than too much. Because somebody like him who's always had a hard heart is real easy to get them to just shut down like I used to be. I was real hard-hearted running from God. It wouldn't take much to make me shut down. And just run because I was so used to people trying to cram it down my throat if they just talked to me about how he helped you and how what a wonderful friend he is and some things like that I would have received it but you know people the people that witnessed to me didn't have any training and they didn't know how to do it I've never had any training on it either so anyway I didn't say anything else but I knew my brother well enough to know that he would think about that every day that God brought me that much money through somebody I've never heard of before to pay those taxes because I asked for help. Money was his biggest problem and had been for, I guess, his whole life. He and his wife barely skated by, him doing odd jobs because he could not work hardly at all anymore, and I didn't know that. I found out later his knees had gotten so bad he could barely work at all. But he had, had finally reached retirement age, and he had filed for Social Security, and his wife told me later, He was over the moon that he was going to get like $800 a month from Social Security. That was a lot of money to him. And he was so looking forward to less worry, and he wanted to just have some time he could spend with her as they were growing old. And he was just not able to work anymore. But he kept trying because they had to pay bills, and she didn't work. She had worked off and on, but she didn't work then. He died just weeks after they told him that he had so many weeks to live. The cancer had already spread to his brain, and before they were going to operate on it, but before they could operate and remove it, it got him. His body was just not strong enough to fight it off. i was so sad that that happened. And his wife was just devastated. They They had the kind of love that you read about in fairy tales. They had the kind that all the rest of us spent our lives looking for. My sister Shirley and her husband had that, and my brother and his wife had it. And it's an awesome thing to see. One of our cousins told me later that he had the privilege of visiting my brother in the hospital and leading him to the Lord. Now he did have the gift of evangelism and he was a preacher. And I come from a long line of preachers on both sides of the family, y'all. And I was so happy to hear that. I would have loved to do it like my mom and sister would have loved to to have led me, but we have to let the Lord do it his way. He knows who they will receive it through. He alone knows who has the witness that the person you want to see saved will listen to in what form it needs to come in. He alone can roll back the stones of unbelief from those hard hearts. I never stopped to think that money would witness to my brother that much, that God paying a bill for him would mean that to him, but God knew it. I believe it was Mother Teresa who said, Some people are so hungry, the only way they can receive Jesus is through a piece of bread. If you really want to win souls, pray first. Pray for the Lord to open their hearts. Pray to be led to witness in a way they can receive him. Y'all have heard me tell the story before. It was a 15 or 16 year old girl who led me to God. And it was the joy and the peace in her life that made me say yes. Because I saw that and I didn't have it and I wanted it. And there was no amount of whiskey that was going to get it for me. Can I just tell you that? I was a bourbon drinker. There was no amount of bourbon that was going to get me the peace and the joy she had. And I was like, man, I want that. I watched her. I was so intrigued because I'd never seen that before. And all, I mean, she was conducted herself all the time as a Christian, but she was friendly and she was nice. And one day she came over to my, because she was friends with my son. She came over to our apartment in Chickasha, Oklahoma, and I was laying out playing cards I was going to read my fortune with playing cards on the dining room table. And so I was laying out the cards. She goes, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going to read my fortune. Because I, I used to play with tarot, tarot cards when I was in New Age. And she goes, you know that's wrong, right? And I said, well, I know the Bible you read says it's wrong. That's what you mean. She said, okay, just wanted to be sure. And she just bounced off, happy as she could be. She did not get offended at what I said that I rejected. It. And she did not say anything else. She said that, and she walked away, still smiling. And I watched her walk away, and I thought, wow, look at that. I mean, I respected her. My respect grew for her by 10,000 times when she did that, because she didn't try to force it on me. And because she didn't try to force her beliefs on me, my ears stayed open and my heart stayed open to whatever she said, because I didn't have to be on the defense. I did not have to be defensive every time she came around me because she wasn't trying to force anything on me. She was kind of just informing me. And I'm okay with that. I'm always up to learning stuff, you know? So, yeah, okay. So, pray to be led to witness in a way they can receive him. Pray. Speak when it's time, but only say what he leads you to say, then stop talking Many people ruin their witness by not shutting up when they need to. It is not your job to force them to believe. It is your job to present to them and then do nothing else. It's their job to believe it. It's his job to stir their hearts to receive it. It is only your job to just present it to them in a way that they can receive it. You don't have to do the whole job. He has other people. My brother had heard about the Lord. He needed to see him move in, a, in his life in a tangible way, and his taxes getting paid did that. If I had ever realized that he needed to see Jesus through generosity, we would have been paying taxes a lot earlier, y'all. Can I just tell you that? I planted, our cousin watered, and his soul came into the kingdom, and he died not long after that. You can see the same results if you will allow yourself to be led by the Spirit of God. He sees their hearts. He knows what they need, and he knows why they don't believe. He knew with me what I thought about Jesus, and he knew that it was wrong. I had a wrong impression, but nobody else knew that. He knew it. He is the only one that can lead you in a way that you can win those souls, especially the really hard-to-get ones, and those Can you imagine how many angels danced for joy that day? Because it had to be a lot. He sees their hearts. He knows what they need. And he knows exactly how to get those stubborn stones of unbelief to roll away so he can get in there. If you will just be led by him, you can win souls every day. I think what I said to him about the Lord paying my taxes that time made him curious. You know, so we can pray to make them curious. We can pray for an anointing to win souls. And I have prayed that many times. We can pray to be in the right place at the right time. We can learn to do what we used to call in the sales world, close. It doesn't matter how well you sell if you don't know how to close a sale and get the people to sign on the dotted line. You have to know how to close. I could have moved in for a close with him, but something told me to just stop talking. So I stopped talking. And my cousin, who was an evangelist and isn't, well, he's not, he's gone now to heaven, but um, he was an evangelist, so he knew how to close. His anointing was in prison ministry. I went and did some prison ministry with him when I lived in Princeton. So he probably had to have that gift. We can team up with another soul winner and we can learn from them, learn from their technique. If you know somebody who's really good at winning souls, we can also distribute tracts, small books, or other literature about Jesus or about getting saved. But again, you have to not force it. I want to say a prayer for us because I believe that we will all be led to win souls more from now until the end than we ever have before. I've never had a desire to evangelize. This is the first time I've ever gotten that real strong desire to win souls. I did witness when I was in Louisiana. I witnessed strongly there was a soul next door and I wanted to get him into the into the ark so bad. I witnessed to him but when I knew I was supposed to stop talking, I stopped talking, but he was very intelligent. And I'd be willing to bet that he went ahead and followed up with somebody on that. Precious Jesus, Lord of all Lords and King of all Kings. We lift our hearts to you. Now we ask for your help, Lord. We want to win more souls for you. We want to help bring in this great final harvest before us. We can see the field is ripe and we know you are coming back soon. And when you come back, we know they don't have any more chances. We are so grateful, Lord, that you saved us. I'm so glad, Lord God, you saved me because I would be among the lost walking in darkness. No tell what my life would look like. It wouldn't be good. So grateful that you took the time to draw us so that we could come into the kingdom and believe in you. You are the best decision we will ever make. Lord, we ask that you would anoint us for soul winning, that you would anoint us to be in the right place at the right time that we might have the incredible privilege of leading people into your kingdom. We know the anointing just makes things easier. We ask that you would put the words in our mouths that will help them say yes and to truly believe in you before it is too late for them to say yes. And I also ask, Lord, that you would put us in the right place at the right time and give us the right direction, even if we're just there to plant a seed or to water after someone else has planted a seed, whatever part you want us to play, Lord. Or if we're just supposed to model something about the Christian walk before them. Because a lot of people have a wrong impression of Christians, Lord. We would like for them to have a right one. We want to lead them to you, Lord, before it's too late for them to say yes. We ask you would prepare the hearts of those near to us to hear the gospel of the kingdom of God. We pray that you would... Fill them with a longing for more, a longing for you. Show them the emptiness of their sin. We pray that you would make them tired of their sin and tired of the way they live now. We pray that you would show them the emptiness of their lives of sin, Lord. And if any of us who have any unsaved children or family members, we lift them to you right now, Lord God, and we pray this prayer over them. We pray that you would set up divine encounters where we are right there, or somebody that they will receive from is right there when they are ready to hear and accept you as their Savior. It'll be the best decision they ever made. Your word says that he who wins souls is wise. We know those who win souls have favor with you too because their hearts are for souls. They are the very essence of why you died for us. We ask for lots of souls, Lord, lots, thousands, thousands and thousands. Lord, we know that in every area, You've got people who need to be saved. And Lord, we we just come before you now. We say, We're willing, Lord. We're willing. If you can use us someplace that we are, we're willing to be used. And we ask it in your precious name. Amen. So I just want to mention a few things. In your neighborhood, I find that what's called friendship evangelism works well. And it works best when it occurs naturally in conversation, when you're just talking to somebody and, and uh, you see a chance to witness about something the Lord has done for you. That kind of evangelism, I find, has great results. I've had better luck with that kind than any other kind, probably because that's the only kind I of know how to do very well. Drive through windows when you're getting fast food. You can always hand them a tip and a tract with it. My favorite tract is still the Father's Love Letter. In fact, I'm going to start carrying them with me in my vehicle at all times. Because there's, but there's also another track that looks like real paper money. And it has like, I don't know, the salvation prayer or something on it. And, you know, you can hand them that and just say, Jesus bless you. You have a great day and drive off. You never know, too, if your friendliness is the only warm greeting someone gets who is going through a really horrible time. I remember many, many years ago when I was in my 20s with my husband. And I had taken a really harsh beating the night before. And I was feeling I was feeling rough, y'all, and I, of course, had to go to work the next day. I was feeling, I was bruised. I had so many bruises, and I hurt. My whole body hurt, and I was sad. Because when you're getting beat up all the time, you're sad. You don't know what to do. You love the person, you know. And anyway, it's just, it's a lot. It's a heavy load to carry. And when your body hurts on top of it, it's a rough day. Because what you really want to do is curl up in your bed the fetal position with a heating pad and two aspirin. And I remember I was just so sad and I had walked someplace at lunch, I think just to get out of the office. I don't think I even, I may not have even eaten or I may have taken a peanut butter sandwich with me and eaten it at my desk. But I think I walked to to the square in McKinney was just looking in the windows to try to feel better. And I remember this older man passed me and he smiled, this beautiful smile at me and he just greeted me. All he did was just greet me and say, hey, like, how are you? And it made me smile in return. And for the rest of the day, I felt better just because that man smiled at me. That one little thing made me feel better. I was hurting so bad. And I don't know if the Lord moved on his heart. I don't know if he was just a naturally friendly person. I don't know. I never knew who he was. But it was such a help to me when I was in so much pain. And I was in such an impossible situation. It was just such a blessing to me that he just smiled and greeted me. You don't know. You really don't know because there were many times I considered suicide when I was in that marriage getting beat up all the time. I'll tell you right now, I considered it and I considered it real strongly. Like how would I do it and all that? And suicide's not a danger until you start having a plan of how you're going to do it. I would never, ever do it now because I know the devastation it does to a family. And of course, I have no reason to now anyway. But back then, I did consider it what stopped me was there was no way I was taking myself out and leaving my children in that environment. It was not going to happen. And I took a lot of beatings to get them out. It took a lot of beatings to stay long enough to find a way for all three of us to get out. But that's what you do when you love your kids, isn't it? So that man's greeting that day and his friendly smile. He just looked me right in the eye and just smiled and was so nice. I mean, for all I know, he may have been an angel that God just sent to make me feel a little better because I don't think I was saved back then. I might have been, but I don't think I was. You don't know when you're just walking around and you just greet somebody and smile at them. You don't know what that may mean to that person. And I've tried to do that more and more ever since I learned that. So you can carry tracks with you. You can leave them discreetly in public restrooms or diners. And when I say discreetly, I don't mean leave five or ten. I mean leave one one on the table for whoever finds it, leave it under the tip or you know, something like that, or pray that it will touch someone and walk away. And don't, you know, don't wear that out because people that clean those restrooms and stuff usually throw those away, especially if you overdo it. There are a lot of ways to witness. You have to be willing. We are all called to spread the gospel. That's the the great commission and we were all given the great commission. There are so many people that are hurting that are bound up in sin that don't have enough. They don't know that God wants them to have more than enough. So many who have never seen the light that we walk in every day and they have no hope because they don't know him, y'all. There are people who are dying and, and they're scared to die because they don't know him. He's the key to not being afraid of anything. We don't have to be scared. Soon it will be too late for any of them to make that choice. And in that hour, when the judgment falls, when it, especially when it falls in America, there's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of souls taken who don't know him. And they are not going to heaven. Can I just tell you that? Because you don't go to heaven if you don't believe Jesus is the son of God, that he died for your sins. We can be the difference. We can witness to them like we would want someone to witness to us if we were lost. That is part of the reason, too, that I want to win souls, because... I'm so grateful that somebody led me. Nothing is closer to the Lord's heart than witnessing to the loss and leading souls into his kingdom. If you need extra favor with God or if you just want to gladden his heart, that's how you can do it right there. That is exactly how you can do it. Because that is the whole reason Jesus died on the cross. That's the whole reason that he spent all those hours in agonizing pain, in agony, dying on that cross was to win souls. So we could go to heaven. And he wants them to come to heaven too. And I think the Bible, doesn't the Bible say that you get jewels in your crown if you win souls? You could have a real sparkly crown and all that too. That's just a bonus. I think it brings you great joy when you lead someone to him. Anyway, that's all I have for y'all today. I just wanted to share that with you. We need to try to be bringing souls in. And if y'all win a soul, I want to hear the story. Write me and tell me. I'll be excited with you. And um, if you know any, you know, tips or anything for it, write and tell me those too, because I'll take them. But I hope y'all have a really good week this week. Jesus bless you. Thanks for listening. Go out and win some souls. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. I hope this has inspired you to a closer walk with Christ. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., P.O. Box 854, Altus, Oklahoma, that's A L T U S, Oklahoma 73522, or by email at wings of prophecy at gmail.com. JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination.